Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Join us each month to hear ideas, inspiration and practical advice from people making change through music. These conversations are hosted by me, Anita Holford of Music Education Works and Writing Services. So I'll be focusing in particular on breaking down barriers to music through communication and advocacy, but from quite a broad perspective. I really hope you'll enjoy them. And now on with the show. Hello, it's Anita here and welcome to this month's podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Liv McLennan, who is co-director of a community interest company called Music for Wellbeing, and she's also a community musician. Now, there's a lot I know that you'd be interested to hear from Liv, but this episode is a little different than usual in that it's particularly for parents of preschool children. And it's prompted by a question from listener Stuart Biggs, who asks, I listened to the podcast this evening and I have to say I found it very interesting. Thank you very much, Stuart. Um, I have a two-year-old, nearly three, and I try to get music into his life as much as possible. I'm learning guitar and he has a ukulele that he twangs from time to time. But I'd be interested in knowing what we as parents can do at home on a personal level as opposed to schools at an early stage. And this is such a good question. So thank you, Stuart. And a big welcome to Liv, who's going to answer Stuart's question for us. It's great to have you here, Liv. So thanks for making the time to talk with me. Thank you, Anita. It's great to be here. I'm very excited. Oh, that's lovely. So to start off with, I know you're involved in lots of really interesting work using music with lots of different groups of people. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a freelance community musician and work with people basically from birth to near near the end of life. Um, I work with early years um, as a trainer and practitioner, early years music. And uh, as my daughter comes just out of the early years now, I'm getting interested in primary age music as well. Uh, I also work with community singing groups, uh, music for health and well-being, in particular dementia, and more recently respiratory conditions and I also am a practitioner and trainer in circle dance and dementia, creative and reminiscence arts and more recently intergenerational music as well. As you mentioned I'm a co-director of Music for Wellbeing and I'm also a part-time doctoral student at Guildhall School of Music and I'm researching intergenerational music making in care homes so I'm kept busy put it that way. Yeah that's really interesting and I'd love to have you back on and talk about the intergenerational stuff and the care home work that's something that's sort of of interest to a lot of people I know. I'm always interested to hear from people how did you end up where you are today so how, how would you sort of summarize your route into this area of work and why it's important sure so I started off as most musicians do as a performer I was an army musician for a while and then I left and went into the charity sector but really miss music um, on a kind of day-to-day basis and then found the goldsmiths course I was thinking oh maybe I'll do music therapy this seems like a good option, but once being at Goldsmiths under Graham Dowdle and Phil Mullen. And that was a community music course, is that right? That is, that's right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of found my natural home. I mean, that course radically altered my thinking about music and my perception of music, what it is, what it means to be musical as well. And also in terms of social justice and access to and inclusion in music making and that music should be for everyone and not just for those with the financial means to access it. So it really changed my life at that point and just ignited a real passion and kind of a flame for community music that's been burning ever since. So I left there in 2010 
and started working as a kind of freelance musician or community musician in uh, especially with people with dementia but also found early years as well and just absolutely loved it and part of the whole thing was about finding my own voice within that I didn't sing much before going to Goldsmiths and part of that course was learning about how to do that um, not necessarily singing but how to access my singing voice both the physical and the, this kind of symbolic voice as well and really gaining confidence as a person yeah I was just gonna say of course the voice is really important in the early years isn't it exactly that and then came after that the community singing and, and the early years as well and and your know, part of it was making a business decision as well so yeah. how am I I play the cello and the highland bagpipes so they're not particularly useful instruments in community. right I was going to ask you about that because I think you're the only musician I know who plays music educator I know who plays the bagpipes so that's really interesting the whole of Scotland's going to be in uproar now. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's one of my instruments. But I just thought, well, now and again, it's great to you know, bring them out in a workshop, but it, it, I can't really do that all the time. So voice was the most obvious. It's portable. It's cheap. You don't have to lug around a load of kit. And it's so flexible in so many different situations. So I worked a lot on that, both getting com- confident um you know with how I sound uh, and yeah and all of that combined really changed changed my perception of myself as a musician and of other people and, and their musicality as well uh, and as you say so important with early years and, and communication in general and that's really interesting that you found your sort of confidence vocally because I suppose that's what a lot of parents need to do when they start making music with their children because obviously they're going to be using their voice and I think a lot of people are very, it, it feels very vulnerable using your voice, doesn't it? Absolutely. It, it is a kind of way of being naked almost, which yeah. is frightening and you say you really make yourself vulnerable. So it's, it's a very bold and brave step to be able to do that. Yeah, to, to really feel confident in that. And a lot of people say, come up to me oh I can't sing I can't do this but actually when you listen to them you tune into what they're doing with their children already they are using their voice a lot uh, in a musical way as well and so it's just getting them to see that actually they can do it and they are already doing it and really celebrating that. So how did you actually get into early years music and you're actually an early years trainer so tell me a little bit about what that means. So after Goldsmiths, I started working with an early years music company called Boogie Mites, and I still work for them now, kind of nearly 10 years later. That's kind of where a lot of my training, both on the ground and, and internally, came from. So I deliver workshops and courses and training for them. And also more recently, I've completed the certificate for music educators in early childhood as well. So yes, I, I started working for them, for Boogie Mites, and just found it such incredible fun. Um, just really freeing for me as well. So, you know, getting on the floor with the kids, we're pretending to be different animals, we're using our voices, we're exploring the world through music. And then we started working on family learning contracts for various councils. So that really made me realise that actually you can do as much work as you like with very young children, but you don't affect change unless you're working with parents and children as a unit, with families or parents and carers. 
so that's when my interest in families work really started to kick off and although it's actually much harder I think to work with both parents carers and children at the same time it's actually I think you can have a longer lasting effect for everyone and then obviously when I became a parent myself you know I really had real world experience of that whole thing so that gave me a different perspective on how music might be threaded through the day you know because the reality is you're not going to sit at home and do a 30 minute workshop with your own child like yeah. work like that yeah so it kind of made me think very creatively how can you thread in the music through the day how can you be musical and have a musical relationship without making it necessarily so formalized so that's where I'm at right now I think and I think that actually some of the people that follow me on Twitter and uh, musicians were really looking forward to this and and sort of admitted that they actually don't do as much music with their own children as they should really even though they're being paid and off doing work with other people's children so hopefully we'll be able to share some some tips and and kind of encourage musicians to do more work with their young people so it seems an appropriate time to ask Stuart's question again so Stuart's question was around what parents and carers can do with their children at home before they reach school age so what would you suggest and obviously that spans quite a long time doesn't it because you know right from the, when a baby is in the womb it can hear and respond to music I think it's from around 21 26 weeks or something and so then obviously you can start making music with your baby from the womb onwards uh, and, and just to say that okay I am experienced but I don't hold all the answers so I'm just going to no. offer suggestions and starting points and people may take what they want or they may agree or disagree with me and you know that's fine there are so many ways of making music and I think absolutely they're, they're all valid um so yes we're kind of very young children or even you know in the womb as a a woman carrying a baby you can sing you can move you can dance you can in that way to your bump absolutely and they the babies will experience that, all of that uh, through their senses and you know, with very young babies after birth and say just start by tuning in to what they're doing already the vocalizations they make and see if you can copy them and then maybe start a dialogue in that way just through sound through babbling uh, matching their pitch and their timing and their dynamics that is how loud or soft they are and you know just being with them like that and that might only be fleeting it might be 30 seconds it might be three minutes who knows but there's no right or wrong to it that's a really simple thing, isn't it? And I, and I think adults are so used to leading children, aren't they? That having that listening to a child's noises and replicating them is really important for their kind of self-confidence as well, even when they're very, very young. Absolutely. And that's really validating as well that someone's kind of mirroring it back to you as a person. That They're acknowledging that's what you're making. And yes, I'm here with you. And I think that really sows the seeds of things like empathy and bonding and you know, all those lovely kind of reciprocal things that we have in relationships as well. But it's also as a musician, sometimes I think doing those supposedly simple or fundamental things are really quite hard because if you're a performer, you're so used to being so technical and really musical and, and performing such complex music that actually just stripping it right back can be quite a challenge in itself. I know when I started off in community music, I was trying to do things that were way too complex because that's what I, that was my perception of music. And it took me a long time to really just 
get to the, the basics or the fundamentals of it. So I think even people with musical experience might find that challenging to start with, or at least I did anyway. Also then being aware that children experience the world in many different ways simultaneously. Uh, it's a multi-sensory and multimodal experience. So you can combine music with say movement at the same time. So nice rocking, um, if you wear them in slings or just hold them to your chest, some lovely humming, which can be very calming for young babies as well. And for you as a parent, <laughs> lots of lovely yeah. noise, especially when you're surviving on such little sleep. But actually just, I know I had to sing out my stress sometimes and um, when my daughter was, well, even now, to be honest, <laughs> so when my daughter was, but even now, it, it's a you know, nice way to do that. Um, and there's science behind that as well, isn't there? Because apparently the, the sort of, you know, singing and that's in a sense why, why lullabies were created, that soothing, calming nature of music, it's actually scientifically proved that it actually induces the brain to produce delta brain waves associated with sleep. So, you know, there is science behind that, definitely. Yeah. Yes, and there's suggestions that when we sing and move and dance together that our levels of oxytocin increase as well, which is the hormone for the social bonding process and also helps to calm us as well. And if you're a breastfeeding mother, then you know, it helps to uh, help with lactation and that kind of thing. So I think, yes, all of that, um, there's probably some kind of evolutionary reason for it. But I used to teach baby massage as well for a while and there was a lot of songs and rhymes incorporated into that. So if you're doing that kind of thing, even just, um, this little piggy went to market you know those kinds of nursery rhymes on their toes combining it with touch as well that's a really nice way to to calm and to experience music and rhymes uh, with your child also I used it a little bit with routines um, probably not as much as I suggest to other people if I'm honest because yeah. uh, uh, well for different reasons but you know if you have the same song for nappy changing or when you go to sleep or nap time or feeding time with food time or changing that kind of thing changing clothes then that can help set up a kind of nice framework that uh, gives audible cues for your baby that they know what's coming next and it's you know they're okay hopefully <laughs> with it or just singing to them as well is quite a nice thing to do so you know it sounds really simple but I don't, you know, if, you, if you're not used to either working or being with young children, because a lot of people become parents with no experience of young children, then, you know, these things don't necessarily occur all the time. No, and I love that idea of um, punctuating the day with certain types of music or certain songs that the, the baby can then become used to as part of the pattern, because that's reassuring for a young a baby, isn't it? It can be, absolutely. So it's not just acres of time in front of them and, you know, or now I'm being pulled around, what's this for? It's actually yeah. put within a context. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, you know, valuing your own music and the own songs that you listen to. Okay, not everything's going to be appropriate for young children, but uh, I remember doing projects with people, with families and Kind of asking what they listen to and one of the biggest challenges was oh yeah big fans of Eminem. Like, right okay how am I going to incorporate this into a workshop but I found one song that didn't have any swearing and it, luckily it was a call and response song so we incorporated that structure that tune 
and uh, we all wrote our own words to that particular tune to sing to our children. So, you know, you, you're using your own starting point and your own frame of ref, cultural frame of reference is also a great way. And why not? Just because they're children, they don't, doesn't mean they have to stick to so-called children's songs or nursery rhymes. There's a whole heap of, you know, music out there that's important, I think, to listen to. That's a great tip, actually, because I think a lot of parents think that they have to do something special or some special music that's for that age group. And you're far more likely to integrate music into your day with your child if it's the music you love. Exactly. If it's meaningful for you, for your context and your family. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's it's like an ad or something I should be doing or what they in you know inverted commas expect me to do. Whereas actually what you're doing already is probably really good uh, and really great quality and you know, really value you and your own music as well um, I'm also a big fan of kind of homemade props and instruments as well as I mentioned earlier a lot of my work is around social justice and access and inclusion to people who don't have the financial means so something that uh, really attracted me to Boogie Mites was the fact they used a lot of homemade props and instruments from that perspective and also a kind of more eco-friendly perspective so things like you know making shakers <laughs> rice in a bottle and shaking it is great uh wooden spoons onto your saucepans or even just using your own environment you know if you can find things that make a sound just even banging on a cushion can make some kind of drum noise is great um, and i really encourage parents to do that just thinking a bit more creatively about the environment that you're in as well and I suppose it doesn't always have to be what you might term as music. It could just be a rhythm or it could just be a melody. It doesn't have to be both. It doesn't have to be complicated, does it really? Not at all. Not at all. And that's still elements of music. And just having that musical dialogue, uh, as you were with your voice, you can extend that to kind of, like you say, rhythms or encouraging children to explore sounds and, and be in sounds and work out what they like and how they can manipulate the world around them you know, all these great important skills that can be learned through music. And I suppose if you're not using a particular song, then there's no, there are no mistakes, are there, for the baby or for you? So that enables creativity from you both. And that doesn't need to be difficult, does it? it doesn't, you don't need to sort of think, oh, I'm going to become a songwriter or something. It could actually be something very, very natural, as you said at the start, about kind of responding to babies' noises or toddlers' noises. Exactly. And a lot of my more recent work has been trying to do that kind of musical play, very much influenced by uh, the tutors on the Certificate for Music Educators in that and just the kind of caught, not taught approach so just seeing what's there and, and being in that and being alongside someone and just allowing yourself to play with your, your child musically and enjoying that in the moment. And like I said earlier, it might last 30 seconds or not even that long. It might last much longer. But there's like so that you don't have to get through a series of repertoire or anything yeah. like that or worry about so-called mistakes because there's, there's nothing. It's you know, very improvisatory in, in nature. And I found that quite freeing myself. And that's really had an impact on my other work as well uh, with older people and people with dementia. So it's a great way to explore music. I think that's an amazing tip. It's almost like telling people to do what comes naturally, which we often <laughs> ignore, don't we? <laughs> yes, I think because we're so schooled and educated in music and... I think sometimes when we, 
make music as a product or a commodity, then that's kind of what we try to reproduce. Whereas actually, if we just see it as a way of being and communicating, then it can take on a whole different meaning, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. the bottom line, isn't it, of community music, is um, enabling that creativity and going back to the beginning of, of what music was and mm. its function for us as a people and as a society. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's not to say I don't use particular songs or resources or anything like that. Of course I do. Yeah. And you've got to do what's right for you in that moment and that can mean different things at different times of the day days of the week or how old your your child is as well but other things yeah I've mentioned props as well scarves that kind of thing for peekaboo games hiding objects hiding different parts of the body you know just using them to to vocalize throwing it up in the air wee all these things that we don't necessarily think of as musical initially but actually it is when you think of it, it's, you know, it's pitch, it's timbre, which feeds into melody and, and all of that kind of thing. And moving on to slightly older children, maybe three, four-year-olds, then their, I suppose their abilities change. And again, all the same kind of approach really works and just starting where, where they are and tuning into them and their vocalisations. But also, you know, this could be an opportunity to encouraging them to pitch match if you want to kind of think about music in a more formalised sense. And I'm quite a fan of the Kadai approach in terms of getting children to tune into and pitch matching and being able to sing songs, if that were something that was interesting to you. Uh, and again, it's only a suggestion that might not be interesting to people at all. But the kind of the so me songs, da, 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 those kind of really simple ones are really nice to do with children in terms of their singing capabilities as well. But you, know, you can do all sorts of games with them, call and response clapping or singing games, or they've got a natural walking pace. You could then sing along to that. So you're matching where they are, their tempo and their pulse. Um, so they can experience what it feels like to you know, walk in time or you know, to a piece of music. And they can start to internalise more kind of formal music approaches as well. Also in you know, reading books, incorporating sounds and different songs at different points. That's what I have done with my own child I promise I've done that I also do it in workshops but that is <laughs> um, a nice idea isn't it yeah making up your own stories and songs as well but yeah in in songs or um, poems then just leaving off the last words of lines so children can fill them in they might fill them in with the so-called correct one or they might fill them in with something else and that's great that's great for their creativity uh, their awareness of words and language and rhymes and all of that kind of thing music's a really flexible tool not just you know in terms of itself you know I also think teaching through music is, is a good thing to do not everyone will agree with me you know fine, like I said there's so many different approaches within and through music with young children um, whatever suits you I think is the best kind of approach as a parent yeah definitely those are some brilliant tips and so um you were talking about three to four year olds and I think that's the age when parents are probably starting to think about a child's going to go to school they hope they'd want to have maybe music lessons or engage in music at least quite actively at the start and then go on to have music lessons so is there anything that you'd suggest that parents do to sort of prepare children for that and maybe in terms of using some kind of instruments and getting sort of motor control and all those type of things going i like easy 
access ready you know, instruments that are ready to make sound and make quite a nice sound so obviously the homemade props the shakers those kind of untuned percussion but also tuned percussion I and mean, this gets quite expensive now so if that's a, an issue then well I'll, I'll go on to kind of technology in a minute but yeah untuned percussion so such as glockenspiels or xylophones are quite nice I do have a ukulele and you know, children can strum that and you can tune it to certain chords if you wanted to do that as well. You don't have to keep it at its own tuning. Um, and there are lots of one chord songs. Uh, I've just finished an intergenerational ukulele project and you'd be surprised at the amount of songs we can do with just one chord. Oh, lovely. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a nice way forward and it gets them in the, the zone of holding an instrument, of manipulating it, of controlling it and, and exploring it and, and creating their own musicality. How would you suggest that parents then work with that instrument and that young person? So up until now, we've been sort of saying, keep it very natural, very instinctive and part of your day. But obviously, if you've got instruments involved, then that's going to seem like, a, right, this is a musical moment. And we are here in this moment with these instruments. So is, are there any tips you could give for parents who might be thinking, right, I've got the kit. How on earth do I do? <laughs> what, what on earth do I do now? With very young children, I'd probably say just keep in that vein and explore because at three, yeah. four years old, there's lots of time to learn instruments and just be led by your child. Because when I think of my own child, she's had to go on my cello just for fun. I'm not trying to push her into anything, but she's not shown much interest in a year or two she's strummed the uke but actually she just loves singing and dancing and putting on kind of shows as it were and being a director she's very directive um you know I just go with that in terms of actual instruments you know you can on on YouTube there are loads of examples of people playing lots of different instruments perhaps you know play them to your child and see if they're drawn to anything you could you know, see if there's any free concerts or anything and, and take them along to that. But I think in terms of very young children, just singing and Dalcro's movement type of exercises. So, you know, exploring, having a musical body is probably going to stand them in better stead in the long run. Um, so there's, there's no rush for technical skills on an instrument would be my yeah advice um, that's great advice because I think that's reassuring for parents as well and I think yeah. with Stuart's question he was saying his child started playing the ukulele but probably all he needs to do is rather than thinking he has to teach them something and, and encourage progress he probably just needs to play with them as in just play not play music but enjoy a fun time using the ukulele I think there's somebody who's a community musician whose name escapes me tells a story of teachers being horrified because he a young boy just wanted to undo the ukulele strings pull them <laughs> apart put his hand in the ukulele but once he'd done that he was then prepared to actually play the ukulele so he had to do the exploring first because that's just the way he worked he like he was an in, sort of investigator and being open to all sorts of things that your child will do, I suppose, is the other thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. Um, I think that, and just seeing how things work can be quite important for some children. I don't work like that. I'm not that interested, but other people might be. And I think, yeah, just supporting that and looking into that is a really nice way of 
you know, this is how sand is made. You know, it's a great science, little, little science project as well. And, you know, again, you can get children at age three that really want to learn the uke or, you know, whatever they're going to learn or the ocarina or, or piano even. You get three, four-year-old pianists. Uh, and if that's what they want to do and they're showing, you know, leading you in that direction, then great, go for it. So I'm not saying, you know, this is never an absolute because all children are different. But in the main don't worry about it and just play and just expose them to as much music as you can I think thank but you also, just thinking about you know a lot of parents and carers do have smartphones and you can get great apps that allow children to explore different sounds so thumb jam is quite nice um, and there are other the name escapes me at the minute that kind of has a more robot based thing where you can make lots of different sounds i think it's a loops type app the one with the little people i think so i think so yeah, um, but just things like that that are quite low cost so thumb jam is probably well, under 10 pounds i think bloom that's uh, another one that's kind of more uh, visual as well and you can just swipe across the screen and uh, it's kind of more atmospheric rather than uh, specifically musical but you know those are other things it, it, again it depends on your stance on technology and young children but, but there are options there as well it, it doesn't have to be just physical instruments there are other ways that you can incorporate music and musical play into your everyday as well especially if you you know they're getting a bit restless on the bus or whatever <laughs> sometimes that's quite a nice thing to do for 10 minutes until we get off of our stop and that doesn't involve singing in front of other people in public either. Is there any other equipment or resources or books that you'd recommend for parents or carers? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of websites. There's uh, mamalisa.com. So that's Mamalisa's world. And that's got loads of traditional children's songs, games and rhymes from all around the world. So not just English speaking worlds, but I love that. And I use a lot of them in my work and with um, my daughter as well. There's londonrhymes.com. So that was uh, lots of little songs developed for families and by families that was um came out of a project in hoxton um and that was initially i think funded through sound connections and they worked at the same time as i was trialing my intergenerational first intergenerational project so it's nice to see the development of that boogie mites actually has released their at home series now and i wrote the the parent notes for them and they are they you can purchase those they're available from their website but there's videos and notes and obviously the songs come with that and then I love the play songs book as well. Uh, I use that in my work. Uh, so yeah, that's got, that comes with a CD as well. So again, with all of these things, you can just take what you want. You don't have to do whole songs. You can take snippets of songs, just get some ideas and try them out and see what sits with you. I think it has to resonate with you first as a parent to then kind of be meaningful in your, your interactions with your child. And actually, I think that the Royal Scottish National Orchestra produced a CD and then a little booklet that went along with it called A Star. And I thought that was a really nice idea because it was for parents who might have no musical experience at all. And I think it's still available. Something's available on their website. And so it gave some very simple little lullabies and songs that you could use at particular times in the day. And it just gave some little tips for how you might use them. Finally, Liv, could you give us three practical pieces of advice that parents can take away if they're starting to introduce music to their children? Or you might want to just summarise what you've said. 
So I have mentioned them already. Um, the first one is that you don't need lots of stuff. You know, don't think music equals instruments and equals skills. Actually, just starting with you and your voice is more than enough. And you know, the environment that you're in. And uh, so believe in yourself, I suppose, is the first one. The second one is be led by your child, I think. So watch for their cues, their invitations as well. And you know, don't think you need to sing at them all the time. Make it into a dialogue and really work with them. Make it meaningful. The third piece is once you get going, so just enjoy it. Enjoy exploring a huge variety of different music from jazz, pop, classical, traditional, world music, or heavy metal if that's your thing. You know, I think everything is fine and works. And if it's meaningful for you, then it's going to be meaningful for your family in some way. So just, yeah, enjoy. Oh, that's brilliant advice. And I think that's going to reassure loads of parents and including musician parents who actually probably sort of have hang-ups about how much they should be doing with their children and what they should be doing. So that's been really useful. And I hope that um, parents will benefit from this conversation, but also that it will be helpful for the regular listeners of this show to share with the parents they work with or want to connect with. So thank you ever so much, Liv, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great fun. Good. And if you want to read more about Liv and about Early Years Music, I will share some links in the show notes along with some resources, etc. Thank you very much for listening. That's the end of our show this time. Thank you for listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. And make sure to subscribe so that you get to hear about future episodes. If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to know more about me and how I help music and creative organisations through communications, then visit writing-services.co.uk and get in touch. Thanks for listening and have a great week.